Welcome to another episode of Who Died with Pete and Alex. It's your weekly update on some of the famous, infamous, and otherwise noteworthy people who died in the past week. <laughs> uh, They're no longer with us. Yes. So, Pete, I understand uh, you have our first uh, honoree of the week, Mr. Willie Marshall. Yes, Willamot J. Willie Marshall. Um, is uh, not a household name, I, I wouldn't say. Uh, born December 1st, 1930, died June 2nd, 2023, at the age of 92. 92. He uh, is a hockey player who scored one goal in the National Hockey League, playing for the Toronto Maple Leafs. That's, that's not a, why he's famous. It's a league record, isn't it? <laughs> it is uh, It is not. It, well, he does hold league records, but in the American Hockey League, which is the minor league's of the NHL. So the the one one step below the NHL, you have the AHL. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like AAA baseball if if, if to use a more American uh familiarism. Um and in the AHL, he was the at, at the time, I don't think he still is, but he was the American Hockey League's all-time leader in games played, goals scored, assists, points, and hat tricks. He had 523 goals, 25 hat tricks. Uh, uh, 852 assists, um, uh, um, and made a, a huge career out of just being an American Hockey League player. He kept, he got called up a couple of times, 33 total NHL games for the Leafs, um, hmm. but just never stuck at the major league level and yet dominated at the American Hockey League level. And I, that, that's why I wanted to honor him because it's such an interesting category I, I feel like, again, to go back to baseball, not to make this all American, but to go back to baseball, um, you know, there's a there's a kind of category, a, a nickname for a player like that called a quadruple A player because triple A ball is the highest minor league level. And then they can dominate in minor leagues and just never click in the major leagues. And so there's like they're almost too good for the minors, but not good enough for the majors. Somehow they fall into a gap. They, they fall through the cracks. That's really fascinating. And so I think that's that's where Willie Marshall falls in. He's he's three times uh, American Hockey League All Star, won the Calder Cup, which is like the the championship of the American Hockey League, three times. Um, was named to the American Hockey League Hall of Fame in two thousand six. They even named an award after him, the the Willie Mitchell Willie Mitchell Willie Marshall Award, <laughs> um, which is awarded. Uh, they give that to the leading scorer, leading goal scorer in the in the American Hockey League every year. That's named after him, and it, it's like somebody who's so dominated at one level. But like the the goal, I think if you asked most hockey players, I could be wrong, but I feel like if you ask most players, if you would if you could choose between dominating the American Hockey League or barely kind of kind of getting by in being a, basically a forgotten journeyman in the National Hockey League, they might choose the latter. They might be like, well, that's the, the whole goal hmm. of the minor leagues is to get to the major leagues. And yet there's an interesting, I mean, I, I love minor league baseball. I love minor league hockey. I love, you know, like I like that it's a it's an interesting kind of, you, you usually see a balance between players who are on the rise, you know, kids who are on the rise and like, Older players who have kind of like passed their prime and are kind of riding it out, but then there's some people who just kind of stick at that level. 
they are, you know, in the prime age for the athlete in their league, but they are, this is their, they've, they've topped out here at the minors and it, and it's always interesting to see those, those guys or, or ladies. Do you know, uh, how he felt about that? Was he frustrated? Was he like, well, this is better than working at a gas station or, you know, (laughs) did he come to terms with the, the fact that he was a great big fish in a small pond? I mean, I think the disparity wasn't as great as it was. This is in like the 50s, basically. And mm-hmm. so even, you know, nowadays being a professional athlete is, is a whole different ballgame. Right, you know, the, the amount of money, the amount of fame has, has yeah. snowballed. But being that he was born in Canada, I have to feel like just making his living playing hockey was probably a pretty good, you know, it, it's... Not to not to generalize, but it's the you know the boyhood dream of a lot of Canadians, mm-hmm. and so I have to think that he was probably pretty okay with what he accomplished. I mean, definitely okay with what he accomplished. He was definitely, um, you know, very few people can be that lucky. But I, I do have to wonder if it stuck in his craw at all. Yeah, but, I mean, you, you hear about people tell. who are like, oh, they played their whole career and they never won a championship or never right. achieved this level. But he's kind of like a level below that where he did, he barely got into the being able to qualify for the, you know, the cup or whatever the, whatever yeah. the, the thing scored is. scored one so. goal in the National Hockey League. That's more than, you know, more than most people who aspire to that ever get to do. Yeah. I'm trying to think of parallels so. in other fields. I can't think of any off the top of my head. Yeah, like uh, yeah, made it like a one-hit wonder, but not even like it's not even a hit. I don't know. I guess it's like if you were I don't know good at writing songs for other people, but you personally never had hits. Mm. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it's an <laughs> it's it's an interesting like maybe like a really successful bar band or something like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know, but but hats off. Uh, um, you know. Uh, I'm trying to think of a, a hockey-related w- way to, uh, to to give a, a salute to uh, mm. to Mr. Willie Marshall, 92 years old. Uh, apparently, spent the later part of his life um, writing Christian poetry in Pennsylvania. So, mm. um, and he was he was moderately successful. <laughs> not you know not <laughs> he never made it to the top, but he was a solid right. middle uh, person. You know, it could hockey be like to um, poetry. That's a that's a strange uh, transition. Oh. I would not have expected. Oh. Come on. Um, <laughs> hockey is a graceful game. Um, it, maybe it's kind of like Michael Collins, the astronaut Michael Collins, mm. who um, went to the moon but had to stay in the car. He was the designated driver of he, the lunar mission. He orbited the moon but never yeah. set foot on the moon. Yeah. Maybe kind of like that. Yeah, that's a good analogy. He's still been to space and still did more than most people will ever do. Yeah. But he was an astronaut. He's not. And he yeah. went to the moon. He went I, near he, the moon. Yeah. <laughs> Oh well, well, well. So Willie Marshall, Willie Mitch, Willie Marshall. I keep wanting to say Willie Mitchell, and that's that's not <laughs> not at all what I want to do here. When you first said um, Willie Marshall, I thought you were referring to Will Marshall from the uh, Land of the Lost. I thought maybe yes, they, they pulled off. They done another Rick Dalton thing where the Sid and Marty Croft <laughs> announced that Will had just died. Will had just died, but yeah. in the Land of the Lost. So mm-hmm. yeah, who knows? Time is all wibbly wobbly there. <laughs> um, but uh, yes, hats off to Willie Marshall. Um, 
Uh, Alex, uh, who is your first honoree this week? Well, I mentioned songwriting a minute ago, trying mm-hmm. to come up with a good analogy, and so uh, it and might I, be... I've stepped on your, I stepped <laughs> on your transition there. No, that's fine. Uh, it might be because I was preparing to talk about Cynthia Weil, a name I did not recognize um, upon hearing it. Uh, born 18th of October, 1940, through June 1st, 2023, and she is, in fact, a songwriter, a very accomplished songwriter, uh, mostly with her husband, Barry Mann. Um, They were brill-building songwriters, and uh, Mm. that was sort of a, basically a factory system where songwriters would write songs that would be mostly farmed out to other people to perform, Uh, you know, a lot of... um, Hits of the sixties and seventies kind of fell into that particular uh, genre. The Beatles kind of ruined things by suddenly now bands were supposed to write their own songs, yeah. and um, kind of started the decline of the professional songwriter. But um, I know what you're thinking: what has she done? How would I know her? And sure. um, you know, Pete, you're roughly the same age as I am, and I'm sure many of these songs are going to be familiar to you. She wrote on Broadway. Here You Come Again, the Dolly Parton hit. Uh, she did the theme from Christmas Vacation. Mm-hmm. Uh, He's So Shy by the Pointer Sisters. Mm-hmm. Uh, Love is Only Sleeping by the Monkees. Uh, Somewhere mm-hmm. Out There by, uh, from the American Tale uh, mm-hmm. movie. Uh, and literally hundreds of other songs. She's probably most, her most famous song, though, is probably You've, Got, You've Lost That Loving Feeling. Whoa. Which was a uh, huge hit for Hall and Oates, and originally by the Righteous Brothers. Um, in 2010, "You've Lost That Loving Feeling" uh, was officially the most played song ever on the radio. For, the song had been played 14 million times wow. by uh, by 2010, and um, that, how do they? That's odd that they can track that, and odd that that it beat. Other, I feel like there are lots of other things that I would pick first. But yeah. I don't know. Uh, well, as, of, as of 2010. But also, I mean, ra- back then radio was different. They did keep track of what yeah. played. A billboard and stuff was influenced by what was um, yeah, totally. what was played. But um, in fact, she, her between her and her, her and her husband together earned a total of uh, 112 BMI awards, which is when you have a song that charts. Um, You're body mass yes and they had they won 115 millionaire awards which Mm -hmm. means that they had 15 song 115 songs that were played over a million times wow so um in addition to the the ones i mentioned uh all top artists of the 20th century you got Cher, lou rawls dusty springfield quincy jones the muppets lionel richie hansen josh groban the list goes on and on and on and on and on. Hmm. Um, uh, so I was looking on the list of all the songs that they did, and there was a nice little trilogy there in the middle. They're all in alphabetical order. Uh, it's getting better. It's going to be fine. And it's not easy. I thought that was kind of hmm. funny that they had those three in a row. Right. And um, following saying a- we should do a, an alphabetical uh, uh- podcast a podcast going through all of her songs alphabetically <laughs> that would be a lot that could be fun though because I mean, there's yeah. a lot of them have multiple versions of you know some of the songs were covered you know 10 15 times stuff so sure they'd be have a lot of things to choose from and uh, the winner of the rupert holmes award this week she had a second career in 2015 she published a mystery called i'm glad mm. i did i always like when people uh 
write books or it's kind of like uh, Willie Marshall with his poetry, you know, kind of a second right. surprising side career. Um, I guess it would have been more surprising if she went to hockey as a second career. That would have been right. Sure, would have been a, a different thing. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that's the the story of Cynthia Weil. Hmm. I want to thank Clon uh, uh, Drive Homer on Twitter for bringing this to our attention. And if, you, if there's someone you see passing and you want to call it to our attention, we are on Twitter uh, at Who Died Pete Alex. So uh, so far, we've gotten a few recommendations from yeah. from. Readers, listeners, uh, listeners, yeah, viewers read, or the, read the tweets, but they listen to the yeah. show. So viewers like you, yes, exactly, yes, viewers. We are um, also on the YouTube. Yeah, somebody uh, um, early on, one of the ones that we that we posted, somebody was like, "Oh, uh, uh, no love for," and I forgot who it was, but it was somebody I'd never heard of, but was I think a big star in another country, and it's yes. interesting how how skewed you know based on your your. Um, pop culture where where you're from how how certain people are bigger or smaller than others yes this is true we we do definitely have a you know american slant sure. to our thing you know, we try to get people from mm. other uh, nations if they're i guess mostly if they've been had some impact on you know u.s culture but uh, mm. so um Anyway, well, speaking of yeah, speaking of uh, America, I want to say USA. Ach, puh, what? Because our our next uh, our next honoree just last minute just made it under the wire. We are recording this episode later than usual this week, and it, it we just happened to get one in um, because uh, June seventh, uh, twenty twenty three, we mark the passing of Hussein Khosrow Ali Vaziri, uh, better known to people worldwide as the Iron Sheik. Um. Born March fifteenth, nineteen forty-two. Although he celebrates his celebrated past tense, sorry, his birthday on September 9th. and uh, so the official documentation says March fifteenth, but he, according to him, his birthday was September 9th. I don't know why that was. I just read that now. Hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, he was born in Iran. You know, a lot of a lot of uh, professional. Of course, he was a professional wrestler. Um, uh, one of the. Famous ones, uh, uh, notable for being kind of in the the WWE, well, then WWF, now WWE, their rise to to uh, global domination um, with the the rock and wrestling connection into the WrestleMania era. Um, he was uh, a lot of wrestlers uh, uh, who you know portray uh, different ethnicities are not always that ethnicity. They're they're. I would say it's kind of more rare to find somebody who is actually of the heritage that they're portraying. Yeah. Um, than it is to find you know uh, somebody genuinely representing their own heritage. And yeah. yet the Iron Sheik um, was born in Iran. Grew up. Grew up there in a in a kind of. Uh, Mm, say poor to working class family uh moved to the moved to the US uh, at some point to to, to kind of try to make it here and and was actually a um you know a, a Greco-Roman uh wrestler an Olympic uh style did not go to the Olympics himself but was an assistant coach to for team USA in the 1972 Munich Olympics hmm. um and then, um, like a lot of people in that, they just kind of either became interested or needed the money and uh, and found their way into pro wrestling. Um, did some training, worked for a while as the Great Hussein or the Great Hussein Arab. Um, and uh, taking a, a few 
pages out of the book of the Sheik, who was a, the, or now kind of the acoustic guitar of wrestling that he was now known as the original Sheik. Um, <laughs> in that he he was there was a, a Syrian wrestler, I think he was Syrian or Lebanese uh, wrestler, um, known as the Sheik, who who did a lot of similar kind of anti-American stuff. But then the uh, well the Great Hussein then kind of decided to be the Iron Sheik um, uh, around the time that U.S. and Iran tensions started to really kind of boil over in the late 70s into the early 80s, kind of became really rode that um, for all it was worth. Um, With his time with the WWF, then he he was the... uh, intermediary kind of between you know you you had a uh, uh the champion bob backland who was kind of a, a you know all-american pretty not pretty boy but a a, a goody yeah, two shoes point. kind of all-american guy yeah. and, and yet you had this up and coming you know vince mcmahon really wanted to push hulk hogan and make you know hulk hogan was not yet a star mm-hmm. uh such a, such as it was he was up and coming and they wanted to kind of transfer that and in order to do that you can't just have the the goody two shoes get beaten by the up and coming golden boy, because then, you know, you're, if you're going to, if you, if the audience likes both of those guys, they're going to be conflicted. And so you need an intermediary. And so the, uh, Bob Backlund did not, it was wrestling the iron Sheik, and, and, uh, Bob Backlund's manager threw in the towel, very controversial. So he didn't submit. He didn't get pinned. His manager threw in, literally threw in the towel, uh, because he was worried about Bob Backlund's uh, health or something like that. And so the Iron Sheik uh, won the championship, held it briefly until he lost it to Hulk Hogan, kicking off WrestleMania proper, uh, WrestleMania, Hulkamania proper, and yeah. eventually WrestleMania, which led to WrestleMania. One leads to the other. Yeah. Um, right. Had a little bit of a feud with him, a feud with Sergeant Slaughter, did a lot of, you know, anti-American. And, and hey, if you're, if you're doing anti-American stuff, what's the next step? You team up with, of course, Nikolai Volkov, the Soviet uh, wrestler who was not, in fact, Russian. He was uh, Croatian, I believe, but... Um, yeah. the, between the two of them, they did some fantastic heel work in, in anti-American stuff. They really knew how to rile up the crowd and create this kind of jingoistic USA. I still say, I'm going to say this as many times as possible until hopefully one day it happens. So it's, it's my dream to have a crowd angrily chanting USA at me. And, uh, and part of that is in tribute to the, the Iron Sheik and Nikolai Volkov, who were, who were favorites of mine. I'm sure we can arrange that. <laughs> yeah, well... <laughs> Um, also, we, we both, uh, I know you just finished and I'm, I'm in the midst of reading, um, uh, the book about Vince McMahon, Ringmaster. Um, and they kind of talk about this a little bit there, but, but, uh, one of the moments that I remember being kind of, you know, as a kid, you're watching this and you start to doubt, uh, the, you start to question whether or not this can be real. And, uh, there was a, you know, pre-internet, and I guess it was just in newspapers, which is how people knew, but like the word of mouth that got around that um, uh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, who was a very pro-USA guy, you know, yeah. carried around a two by four and yelled and, and, you know, waved a flag. Not even really a hacksaw uh, in real life. No, no. He was, he was you know, <laughs> portraying a hacksaw. But um, he uh, he and Iron Sheik were, were um, arrested. They were pulled over and arrested on the Garden State Parkway uh, in between matches. They were traveling together. They, uh, um, uh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan grew up in a state where, where you can, you know, you can have an open container of beer in your car as long as you're not drunk. And New Jersey is not one of those states. 
And so he was, uh, you know, uh, drinking. They saw him drinking, pulled him over, searched the car, and found some marijuana and some cocaine. And uh, that arrest made headlines. And kind of since they were feuding with each other at the time, that uh, made the hardcore wrestling uh, kind of the diehards in the business, including Vince McMahon, made them irate. And they both got fired for that, I think. <laughs> it's, then, more, it's more they got fired for being in the car together, more so oh, yeah, than yeah. The, being arrested for the drugs. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. If they were if they were arrested you know, separately, they yeah. would have just kind of, you know, I'm sure they would have gone father. out of their way to brush that under the rug and be like, it's okay, we can smooth this over. I know yeah. cops, you know. Well, plus if they were bad like, guys, that you could totally use that. Like, oh, they got arrested sure. for, yeah. you know. So Yeah, that's yeah. how bad he is. <laughs> um, and so fired, then they, you know, both kind of came back eventually. Um Iron Sheik, you know, uh, so imagine this. Imagine you are, um, you know, generally, you are portraying a character of your heritage. You are representing your homeland, and mm-hmm. you're doing it in a way that kind of stokes anti, stokes kind of uh, sentiment against your your homeland, perhaps. But you mm-hmm. are doing your best to kind of do, you know, represent, uh, authentically represent maybe your homeland. And then they're like, hey, guess what? We don't, uh, we don't. We're not really at war with Iran anymore, but now it's the 90s. Gulf War is happening. We need an Iraqi. You want to come back as an Iraqi? <laughs> and, like, to be an Iranian and say, like, hey, you want to come back as Iraqi? Like, we don't, you know, uh, we're dumb Americans who are just like, yeah, whatever. They're all the same. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and we are not, but I'm saying, you know, the, the perception is, and it's not, um, I'm saying it's not a baseless accusation that a lot of Americans had no real, their, right. you know, uh, distinction in their mind between Iran and yeah. Iraq. And like you said back then, most people were not the the ethnicity or background right. they were portraying. They have, right. you know, it was much looser so, than yeah. it was today. Yeah, yeah. So he came back as Colonel Mustafa, the Iraqi. Uh, um, oh, so he know, did it. He did come soldier. back. Yeah, he came the, back okay. as, as Colonel Mustafa with when Sergeant Slaughter turned evil. <laughs> Sergeant no. Slaughter was pro Iraqi during the Gulf War. And he needed uh, uh, some some people to go with him, and they they brought back well well, but so a whole different story. But but uh, on the on Sergeant Slaughter's side, his former enemy Colonel Mustafa. I don't think they ever said like, yes, this is the Iron Sheik who is now Colonel Mustafa. They were just kind of like, you don't know who this is. This is a new guy, Colonel Mustafa, who looks exactly like the Iron Sheik. Like he had the mustache and everything. They didn't like give him a diff- like dress him up like a, a different outfit but uh, yeah he, or he spoke the same and and uh, i think the mustache was the same no the, yeah. the saddam hussein mustache was already taken by another guy who was in it's uh. a long story let's not talk about um i will say that uh, he had a later you know career people uh, um kind of appreciated his uh honesty in things he did a little bit of acting in in a in a kind of uh Going back to what we were talking about with the uh, uh, Willie Marshall, the kind of notoriety of being like, yeah, almost like this sentence kind of falls into the AHL of uh, of <laughs> of uh, celebrity notes in that uh, Iron Sheik appeared alongside Daniel Baldwin and Corey Feldman in a in a movie in 2011 called Operation Belvis Bash, hmm. which I'm not sure like the movie wasn't even linked to on Wikipedia. The names were, but the title was not. So I wow. don't know. Um, but, uh, uh, probably most people nowadays, young people know Iron Sheik as a Twitter celebrity because he, uh, uh, in the last, you know, 10 plus years, he's kind of been, become known for his Twitter account, which, uh, has, uh, featured, uh, according to the Wikipedia, Wikipedia entry, 
featured violent, profanity-ridden tweets denouncing various celebrities making him a comedy star on social media. And he had a particularly... Uh, always had a bad word to say about Hulk Hogan, which was uh, fun and refreshing and uh, would all often just pop up kind of ranting against things just by saying F this or F that. And, and maybe I shouldn't ask this, but, and that was really him? That wasn't like a WWE flack <clears throat> writing all this stuff? It was, uh, his managers did most of the, okay. the managing of the account. His, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, he had two two people who kind of managed his career and, and his account. They did a lot of the tweets right. for him. Yeah, um, but he approved I, them. So. Yeah, I think I think they they probably mirrored his actual sentiment, yeah. but I think they were they were a little bit more crafted than uh, yeah. he was letting on, which fits with his wrestling sure. career. Yeah. But uh, yeah, Iron Sheik, uh, you got to move like the Sheik. One of one of my uh, uh, all time all time favorites. Always appreciated him. Camel Clutch. Um, yeah, the camel. Uh, a friend of mine who. Uh, uh, was su- always super into wrestling and was uh, was Egyptian and and kind of had a special attachment to the Iron Sheik. Uh, saw him at a a wrestling convention once, and he was doing you know at a at a show he would you pay like twenty bucks and you get a, a Polaroid of him putting you in the camel clutch. Wow! And uh, and you know my friend absolutely jumped at the chance. Got a got a polaroid of him in the camel clutch and you can see on my friend's face that the iron sheik is not really holding back he's really he's really doing it. it's not just like all right now put your hands yeah. here he's just he puts you in it and and like my friend said his back hurt for days after that uh, <laughs> the liability so. alone there's no way they could do that nowadays yeah uh, so it's totally uh, Belzer, that guy yeah so uh, uh iron sheik uh I'm, I'm again trying to think of uh Trying to think of a, an appropriate uh, sign. I should should start in my notes, writing clever little uh, tip of the hat kind of uh, you know way, ways to write that we salute them. Yes, but uh, a, a tip of the pointy shoe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Is that disrespectful? I'm not sure. The, mm-hmm. the shoe. I don't know. But uh, but Iron Sheik. Yeah. Uh, sad to see him go. Goodbye, funny man. Yes, I remember him from one of the. <clears throat> he was like the first real golden age of. The WWE, that first early, early, uh, early round. Sure, yeah. So, well, my next uh, honoree is Jesse Maple, who died at the mm. age of eighty-six. Uh, she's a filmmaker, and also, uh, perhaps more importantly, she was a sort of civil rights uh, activist pioneer. I don't know how you'd call it that. Um, she started off as a scientist. A bact- she ran a bacteriology mm. lab in Philadelphia, and I'm always. I always have mixed feelings when people leave like hard science to go do the arts. You know what I mean? Mm. It seems like, oh, you stood all that studying and all that knowledge, and now you're just going to throw it away <laughs> on make believe stories. But no, she uh, she she uh, continued to do serious work uh, after she um, attended the National Education Training School, which was a um, sort of program from uh, WNET, which would educate uh, with the intention of of training uh, African-American people to get behind-the-scenes work in movies and television. Like they said, mm-hmm. oh, they're underrepresented in those fields. We need to do more. And uh, so she uh, learned uh, her craft, filmmaking craft there, and she was the assistant editor on Shaft's Big Score and mm-hmm. The Super Cops. Mm-hmm. And um, she she wound up joining the Cinematographers Union, and, uh, and then she joined the uh, Cameraman's Union, and uh, she was the first African-American woman to join the cameraman's union, but she was blackballed 
the the union said don't no one hire her and mm. um she uh, sued abc nbc cbs mm. and one and wow, uh, all the networks yeah so um and she she later wrote a book uh, called how to become a union camera woman chronicling chronicling her fight to uh become part of the union she uh worked as a new news camera uh, operator um mm. for a while and i thought this was interesting she she said she made a point of she noticed that when news stories uh, were edited together frequently uh voices of um african americans and other minorities were edited out because mm. like and so she said she made a point when she was doing camera work to film things where it would be harder for them to edit the race element out. Hmm. You know what I mean? I, I Right, yeah. You know, trying to imagine how that was done, but it's an interesting thing that she was cognizant of it and tried to uh tried to work right. around that. Um she right. later made like almost like like Doug Benson's thing about being an extra and making sure that, you know, you were in the way <laughs> So making yes. making sure that you're represented by making it that hard. Well, you can't really get rid of it because Harrison Ford's in that shot. So yeah, like same yeah, yeah. same idea, but, but uh, for for cultural importance, I like yes. it. Um, she made uh, two uh, feature films. The first African American woman to direct two films. Imagine that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and then she went on to open her own theater in her br- <laughs> Harlem brownstone to uh, show her films and showcase other African-American filmmakers. So she continued to, uh, you know, work, work for um, pushing in that uh, area. It's, 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 I don't know, inspiring, but it's humbling. I don't know what the, but the fact that, you know, you, we all know great civil rights pioneers and, and, you know, who we get learn about in school, but uh, it's also just a reminder that there's like, these fights are going on on a thousand different fronts. You know what I mean? Sure. Like, uh, so it's, it, it's, you know, to be aware that that is going on is I think an important thing. So gone, but yeah. not forgotten. Now uh, you have our historical, uh, one this week, but I understand you also have some shout outs for other people we did not get to cover in, in any depth this week. Um, yeah, just uh, as I was going through, you know, I feel like maybe we can make this a, a recurring thing. If there's people that I just wanted to kind of uh, make a nod, tip the hat to, but didn't, uh, may, maybe couldn't necessarily go that deep into their career. Mm-hmm. Um, well, could have, but uh, I, I don't know that much. Don't know enough about either of them to feel like I could represent their lives accurately, but mm-hmm. I didn't uh, didn't want to let them go by without marking the passing of uh, two women, each of whom were 83 years old. Hmm. Um, and uh, Yukiko Takeyama, um, who's a, a Japanese screenwriter who wrote uh, the screenplay for The Terror of Mechagodzilla. Um, <laughs> so what, I think the only... Uh, woman to have written it. This kind of pales in comparison when when uh, <laughs> talking about uh, Jesse Maple and and her career, but uh, but uh, still uh, notable for being the only woman in the original uh, uh, Godzilla movies. The only w- woman to have written one of the original Godzilla movies. Um, and uh, uh, it's it's not a, not one of the better uh regarded Godzilla films but uh but still she did she did also you know did uh, worked in in the Japanese film industry for for a while and um somebody who uh, whose career 
had at least one. Uh, it was almost. I wouldn't say this is uh, the the uh, Willie Marshall uh, Award, but uh, Astrid Gilberto passed away this week too. Astrid uh, uh, also eighty three, best known uh, for singing "The Girl from Ipanema," um, and uh, had a string of of well-known song well maybe not well-known songs out of basically she was best known for that song for singing that song and and um treated horribly by by people in the industry and people she was in relationships were with who were in the industry uh i think stan getz was was her long time uh, was her husband for a while who all just treated her abused her horribly and and also according to uh Hearsay, according to rumor, legend, also arranged that uh, she got no money from the girl from Ipanema recording. Um, so, <clears throat> like, originally it was just like, oh, it's a shame that she was, she, um, you know, made this famous recording, but she only got the kind of, uh, you know, the session rate for it, basically. Mm-hmm. And then somebody came out and was like, no, 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 the the Stan Getz talked to the producer and made sure that she did not get that money even, <laughs> like that she got zero dollars. Wow. Um, and so, uh, you know, she's, she's been, uh, she does have many other recordings, but it is essentially, I, I would, would call and almost put this in the one hit wonder column, Yeah, but, uh, definitely a name that I knew and, uh, kind of, you know, again, somebody who, uh, I'm sure there are people who are much more familiar with her career who will bristle at my generalizations. But uh, did want to mark the passing of Yukiko Takeyama and Astro Gilberto. Before going back into history and marking uh, on this day, uh, let's see, about 11 years ago, uh, June 2nd on this day, not this day, but this week, uh, June 2nd, 2012, um, June 2nd, 2012, we marked the passing of Colin Lionel M. Hmm. Colonel, Colin Lionel M., M. Who, uh, uh, M. James yes, Bond's. James Bond's boss. <laughs> um, born uh, November 20th, 1932 in uh, Hampshire, England. So maybe you're right. How British was he? Um, age 14, ran away to join the British Merchant Navy, briefly pursued a career in boxing, and then following his discharge, began uh, pursuing a comedy career where he adopted the name, stage name Dickie Dawson, which later became Richard Dawson. Hmm, more formal. And that's uh, how we best know him. Um, he became an actor. He was uh, first kind of rose to fame as uh, part of uh, Hogan's Heroes. Mm-hmm. Uh, that the TV show, which is bizarre in and of itself, but uh, <laughs> but the fact that he was uh, he came out of that had a minor role in the Munster Go Home. So that's uh, you know long term listen long term long time listeners to our weekend shows over at Star Wars Minute will know we have a a, a Munster fascination of sorts. Long term, long term. Um, and then um, it, he put out a, uh, a a 45, a psychedelic uh, kind of, you know, 60s swinging uh, uh, record. Uh, and then uh, joined the cast of uh, Rowan and Martin's Laugh-In in 1970. Uh, stuck, with the, stuck with that until the show was canceled in 1973, where uh, uh, game show pioneer Mark Goodson was just like, hey, let's get that guy on a, on a panel because he's pretty funny. And uh, he hopped onto the match game, match game 73, uh, which is where he kind of first uh, made his uh, bones, made his bones as a, as a game show guy. I don't know. He, he proved to be a very popular panelist. Um, 
everybody loved him on that. They thought he was hilarious. And um, so that uh, they then uh, Goodson was developing a new show as a not a not a spinoff. I think somebody somewhere I saw it as written as a spinoff of uh, uh, Match Game, which I guess it kind of uses would... some of the same DNA as Match Game because you are trying to match. But it, it's not I wouldn't call it a spinoff. Yeah, I wouldn't call it a spinoff. But, um, it doesn't even have a wheel in it. <laughs> They started uh, uh, started doing a, a you know developing the the Family Feud game show, and uh, apparently uh, Richard Dawson's agent called and was like, "Look, if you don't consider him as host, he's going to be terrible on Match Game, like <laughs> from now on. Like well, he, he, part of part of why people like Match Game is because he's great on it. If you don't at least give him an a, a, an audition, he's going to stink it up out there. Wow. So." Um, luckily they did give him an audition. He nailed it and they loved him on it. And so they, he became the host. Um, famously one of his, uh, one of his routines, one of his uh, trademarks on the show, which, which is, um, doesn't look good in a modern lens and didn't really look that good (laughs) in a contemporary lens was, uh, was he was uh, known as the kissing bandit because he would, uh, kind of insist that the female contestants gave him a kiss and uh and was often somewhat handsy with them and, and not on the uh, cheek we're talking about on the lips kisses yeah yeah not just kind of like a not not a polite tv pack not a french on each cheek it's you know no more of like a french <laughs> um <laughs> but uh yeah tv executives uh, people working for the for the network the the people producing the show tried to get him to stop um he did not <laughs> Um, they, they, uh, he, at one point he was just like, all right, fine. Asked viewers to vote, to write in and vote on whether or not they liked yeah. his habit of, of kissing the contestants. And overwhelmingly, they got about 200,000 responses and uh, overwhelmingly in favor of him kissing the contestants. Yeah. The contestants and don't then, have any uh, say in it, <laughs> but the audience yeah. wants it. That's, audience, people at home. Yeah. yeah. I guess after a certain uh, amount of time, you kind of know. If you're a lady going on a family, like you know that that's going to happen. It's not like you are surprised yes. when you get there and you're like, "Whoa, this guy's trying to kiss me." It's pretty. Yeah. So it is a it, it even despite it, even though it's a well known thing, it's still a little bit. Oh, it's yeah. still very strange, and it looks yeah. odd watching it in retrospect. Tried to kind of retcon it in the, um, uh, I think in the finale uh, of the he explained he was he's he kissed the contestants for love and luck which his mother did with Dawson himself as a child he blame you know blame it on his parents hmm. um, I think that's a you know that's a, a slapdash kind of patchwork exp- explanation that you know he's like well nobody's gonna nobody's gonna give me uh, crap about it if I say it's you know it's something it's a tribute to my my dead mother. Um, so after after the show ended in 1987, he was uh, famously kind of parodying himself in The Running Man, um, which was a good role featuring, uh, you know, obviously Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, uh, speaking of the WWF, uh, Jesse Ventura, Jesse Body Ventura was in that, um, wasn't he? Wait a minute, or am I? Wasn't he in? I know he was in Predator, but I feel like he was also in Running Man, and now I'm I'm questioning my my I- integrity here. I know. Uh, but uh, regardless, he was in, um, you know, did did acting and uh, various appearances. Um, yes, he was in Running Man briefly. I, I, I knew it's been a while since I've seen it. Although when you search Jesse Ventura Running Man, it, it gives you information about his 
candidacy for various offices. Ah, running man. Um, but um, then uh, 1994, they brought Family Feud back with a new host, Ray Combs, mm. and uh, um, that uh, did well for a little bit. And then ratings started to uh, nosedive. And uh, so they decided to kick out Ray Combs and bring back the original Richard Dawson. Uh, so in, uh, I think in 94, they, he, they brought him back. I think the, the, 94? the new, the new, yeah, I think the new, the new family feud came back in 91 or something like that. And then 94, they brought Richard Dawson back. Uh, didn't, didn't help. Show got canceled uh, after a couple of years anyway. Uh, and then uh, speaking of Ray Combs, let's, what? You had a question about Family Feud. Not a question, but just that it's odd because I feel like Family Feud since then has been more or less on the air continuously. There's been like four different hosts and... Came back for a third time, a third and final more successful time. I don't know if it's final, but uh, yeah, it came back again with Louis Anderson. Uh, They did Louis Louis Anderson. They had Richard Karn, the guy from Home Improvement. They had uh, Jay Peterman from Seinfeld. They had a, a... rotation right. and of it's been um, what's his name for a long time steve now. harvey now is steve harvey yeah yeah long time um but uh yeah it, it the, this this iteration the 90s iteration didn't last too long yeah. at, a, at an initial bit of of retro nostalgia then it failed uh and uh, richard dawson in, in addition to uh, um his habit of kissing people he also had a habit of smoking like uh, like crazy and that's what eventually killed him um and uh, his Oddly, his death came 16 years to the day after the death of his Family Feud successor, Ray Combs. Ray Combs Weird. also died on this day, but uh, that was in 96. So, Huh. Yeah. I think um, every time that date runs around, rolls around, uh, Steve Harvey's like, uh-oh, getting ready for the... I think mm, pass right? the state again. <laughs> they all, it's like a werewolf. They got to lock him up. <laughs> all right. So a goodbye funny man. In this case, literally goodbye funny man to he Richard He was a Dawson. funny man, yeah. Yes, I mean, I've, also had some nasty habits, but uh, but was you know a, yeah. a professional comedian for a bit. So. And on the scale of things, that's pretty minor compared to a lot of the the you know. It's not like Stan Getz where he's ripping people off. Right. Of the, yes. Although who right. knows? But uh, I've I've discovered that Family Feud is the perfect thing to put on if you're in a room full of people and you don't have anything to talk about anymore. Hmm. It's the perfect social universal solvent. So. Hmm. So uh, interesting. Keep that in mind next time you have family over or anything like that, where you're like, I'm sick of talking, and so on. Well, I guess that'll wrap up this week's Who Died with Pete and Alex. Don't forget if you uh, have uh, someone that you want to remind us of or alert us to their passing, you can do it on Twitter at Who Died Pete Alex. We're also on Instagram too. So, uh, and some of the people we don't cover here, we do highlight on the Instagram and on the Twitter. So, if you want a more comprehensive uh death tally go over there and check us out and then yeah it's uh, not necessarily spoilers for the show i i was worried about that when we first started i was like well now everybody's gonna know who's gonna be on the episode but we post a lot of people on there yeah and not all of them make it onto the show and not and the people who are on the show don't necessarily make it onto the instagram vice versa so right it's like a two a two-pronged attack if you will yeah i just want the i was just wanted our socials to be like your go-to place for when someone famous get dies mm-hmm. really so that's kind of what i'm thinking anyway uh thanks for listening and or watching everyone and we'll be back next week to learn who died with pete and alex who died